0: Former atheist turned hospital chaplain, you're listening to a throwback episode with J.S. Park.
1: I've always felt immoral scared. I was born with several Falls. I
0: have always felt small.
1: I was told not to take risks.
0: I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be
1: an individual.
0: This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe
1: you are the one that everyone discounted.
0: Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up, use their voice, and make an impact in this world. You're listening to The Weekly Parody. What's up my friends? I'm so excited for this episode with J.S. Park. Just to remind everybody on Wednesdays we have throwback episodes where I share some of my favorites from the old podcast and this is no exception and I wanted to throw back this one um, off the bat because unfortunately I've had a couple of friends go through some terrible tragedy, like two different sets of friends over the past couple of weeks and I was reminded of this episode with with uh, with Mr. Park because he reminds us that you know leading, making a difference, making an impact isn't always this big, loud, ambitious, extroverted, exerting yourself thing. Sometimes it's being quiet and just sitting with people and holding them and loving them and not doing anything. And so I know that's hard for our Type A personalities out there, but just being and loving people exactly where they're at and. Shutting our mouths sometimes is the best thing that we can do. You're going to love this episode. It was one of our most downloaded episodes, and I think it's because it resonates with so many people. Before we get started with that, just remind everybody, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you have a second, leave us an honest review. And lastly, before we get started, is uh, morning and habits and routine and rituals. That's something that always comes up with the people I talk to to who are wanting to make a difference in this world is how do I have the time to do it so I put together uh, my morning routine and a habit tracker for you guys to just assist and hopefully help you guys get up earlier in the morning and make the most of your day you can access that in the show notes or you can text mornings to three four five three four five all right let's get back into this throwback episode with J.S. Park
1: So growing up, it wasn't really easy, especially since I got bullied in elementary school, high school. I changed four schools out of five. And then during high school, that's when my parents got divorced. Not a typical divorce, so um, very it skewed my perception of love. So I had friends who wanted me to go out every weekend and drink with them, and so I did that. So I, my perception of that also got skewed friendship, right? What was friendship like, really? Eventually, I got tired of it. When everything is broken around you, it's very hard to find that help.
0: Last year I went through divorce, and what I really needed were people to sit with me in the mess, in the
1: yuck, in the sobbing, in the not knowing. Without advice, without judgment, I needed people who were willing to show me that I was still loved no matter what.
0: It's a huge opportunity to improve the support that new moms receive, especially in those first two months postpartum. I feel like society kind of sets us up to expect this picture-perfect experience of motherhood. And so I wasn't prepared to feel so... uh, so differently like you know I feel like I was falling short I feel like I was failing like I couldn't do enough I couldn't be enough I asked several people this past week about a time in their life when they were hurting and asked them what they needed I got a lot of responses like the ones you just heard different stories but what was so interesting to me is almost everybody said that they needed the same thing Just someone to sit there and be with them and not necessarily say or do anything. And I think that's what we all crave is just that unshakable presence in our lives. People who will connect with us on the human being level and love and accept us. They don't get scared away by all of our mess and all of our crap. Today's guest is a hospital chaplain. What better person to talk to us about this subject? If you do not know what a hospital chaplain is, here is Heather's definition. It's kind of like a pastor who serves at a hospital to provide emotional and or spiritual support to people who are going through really hard things. I hope I got that right. I didn't Google it first. That's kind of what I understand it to be. J.S. Park is a really cool guy. I've been following him for several years. He's an author and writes about subjects that a lot of people shy away from. And he talks about just how to love people. Not some people. All people. And that's another thing that we're going to explore today you can't just love and connect with people and be there for the hurting that look like you. Sometimes it's really important to reach out and embrace and love those who you may disagree with, who may be on an opposite political side of you. I know I just lost like half of you there without it, but love and embrace people because we're all human beings. So, without any further ado, former atheist. Turned hospital chaplain and the author of several awesome books, he is going to share with us his story, how he loves people, and how in the world he became a hospital chaplain.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I I grew up actually a pretty staunch militant atheist most of my life. Yeah, I come from an Eastern uh, Asian background, and so when I saw anything religious, I, I grew up seeing my grandmother chanting incense in the garage kind of scary to me and then my dad and my mom tried to send me to church but I remember resisting really hard like an 11 year old telling my parents like I don't believe in God I don't want to go to church but it was around I'd say college when I really uh, started to attend church just because I was curious and I started playing drums for the church I was at and I was still really stubborn for a few years didn't didn't believe and I can't say it was an overnight epiphany but just seeing the love of people. This, this supernatural kind of love, just really uh, the way that they reached out, the way that they poured out to me, got me curious about what is on the other side of this or where is this coming from? So I kind of extrapolated backwards, like here are these people who are loving in such a, such a way that to me felt impossible. And so I started looking into the history of and the story of, of Christianity and how does that accommodate for my experience of what reality is and what life is about and all these big questions. And so um, I, I also have to say, this is a really christian thing to say, but <laughs> I get—I guess in tandem with that, I was really rescued from a life of just kind of doing whatever I wanted. i say running in with uh, police, partying really hard. I had a scholarship that I lost because I, uh, of just living however I wanted. And so there was this whole other thing that I was doing that was very destructive and harmful to other people and myself. And so I, I think really, in, in some ways, the story of christianity or, or or god himself saved me and like uh, you know brought me out of this really uh, bad pit that i was in other things i was dealing with like uh, like depression mental illness i was addicted to porn all these things i really felt like again a, a very christian thing to say but that god pulled me through or if i put it a different way the, the christian community was there for me you know and i know a lot of christians I have had different experiences with that. But for me, I was just part of a great, thriving, loving crowd. And so um, I I guess to encapsulate it all, um, it was was a 180 turn. Never thought, even just 10, 12 years ago, I'd be going to seminary. (laughs) I would end up a pastor and then as a hospital chaplain. So I did pastoral ministry for seven years. Becoming a hospital chaplain, that was a weird kind of out-of-nowhere calling. I was in a good church in a good place. And then I just felt called to do something else, sat down with my lead pastor and said, you know, I feel really quote unquote called to do a different kind of ministry. And um, the place that I felt most called to was just the wounded and, and hurting in the hospital. And that's a, that's a really difficult ministry. Like part of my role right now is I, so I attend every single death in the hospital. I do grief counseling. Yeah. It's a thousand bed hospital. So, um, it's a level one trauma center that I'm at. So I see, gosh, every kind of injury imaginable gunshot wounds, stabbing, fall, car accident, stroke, fire, all, all kinds of stuff. And uh, we do we attend code blues and then we do end of life care. So we talk about how would you like to die? How, how would you like things to end? And we, we advocate for patients and their families that way. And so
0: that's I, heavy demand.
1: Yeah. It's heavy stuff. And every time I talk about it, like at dinner, it's like, I can see the mood <laughs> completely change. So, you know, um, but I, I, it's hard, but I love what I do. And I have such a, this is going to sound like backward, you know, backward bragging, but I, I do have a deep heart for people who are hurting, just an empathy for people who are in crisis situations and just the teamwork of it being with other doctors, nurses, the chaplains, I love it. I absolutely love it with people in in their most wounded moments. I mean, I feel called to be in every single one of those rooms. And so it's hard, but I love what i do
0: well let me let me real quick ask you because I want to dig into the your calling with the hurting, but you've you've said a couple of times I've felt called to do this for those who cause I know i I was exposed to the Christian church and that word and what that, and that, you know, in that context, what that word means. But for those listening who may like, kind of like, what do you mean called to do something? How do you know you're called to do something? Like, what was it that stirred inside you where you felt like this is a calling? If you were to explain it to someone, how would you describe that?
1: Yeah. You know, so I, I would say it comes in degrees. I guess maybe the short answer for that would be, uh, whatever stirs you inside, that's almost like this magnetic pull, like, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, I think Andy Stanley, he says it like, whatever breaks your heart, which I think, you know, might, might be a little bit cheesy. Um, but yeah, that's a v- very simple, easy way of saying, like, you know, whatever stirs you up, whatever pulls you. Now, I say that as there are degrees to this, because I know that not everyone in life can always do what they're passionate about because of a lack of resources or, or doors closed, or they're not in a situation where they can just pursue their passion. Uh, I have a friend who tells me that even if you're several doors removed away from where you want to be, if you can kind of be close to where you would like, that's still a legitimate calling. So he wanted to do music his whole life, but I, th- I think he ended up becoming like a promoter for a band or, you know, like a producer. So people who are trying to pursue the arts or music, they feel like they failed if they haven't reached that ultimate inner door. I got the record contract, I got the deal, I got the big stage. So when I say calling, I know that kind of rubs people, some people the wrong way sometimes about like, well, you, not everyone can do what they love. And I, I think that's true. But I, I think you can still be maybe a few degrees removed away from where you really want it to be and still do it passionately. Yeah. If you don't do what you love, you can still love what you do. Yeah, and I think also the way the way that we're wired, people just change over a lifetime. Your calling can change too. There's a flexibility. I can't imagine 15 years ago that I would have <laughs> been a hospital chaplain when I was in high school or college. I think I, I just wanted to uh, own a nightclub. You know?
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is a, that's that's a, a great calling too. But that's where my head was at. You know. <laughs> The completely opposite place of now I'm I'm caring for those who are ill in the hospital. Yes. When I I think of the word calling, I think of what is it the thing that magnetically draws you into a place where your giftings, your wiring can be used, where you just are in a place where you feel like, gosh, I can't be anywhere else. I couldn't do anything else but be here. That needs to be balanced with, can you do something that might not be exactly like the picture in your head that you had? Exactly, like turned out exactly the way that you wanted. Because I, I, I think there's such a, maybe a disappointment about I didn't get the big dream or I didn't get the big goal I wanted. But I think it's okay to be sort of around that arena, around that field, and still yeah. do the thing that you're passionate about.
0: I, I love. I could sit here and talk for two hours about calling. I think that is one of those <laughs> fascinating subjects. Let me uh, let me ask you about the hurting part because you're really interesting. I'm reading your book right now, uh, Mad at God, and I really picked that title. I was looking through your different titles, and that one really resonated with me because when I saw it, I said, that's me. Like, I have so much anger right now towards God. Yeah. And he actually, like, come out and says, hey, it's you sometimes are mad at God, and let's talk about that. Yeah. Reading through that, you're very raw and real about the pain that people go through. And now that you work in a hospital and you see it every single day, what has drawn you to that specific subject of acknowledging pain and being there with some really hurtful life situations? What draws you to that specifically?
1: This may sound like a selfish reason. And so I I preface this by saying this is this is not a, a motive that maybe everyone should have, but I know that when I was younger, I, I went through some really, really serious trauma. And I, I didn't know this until a couple years ago when I sat down with people, got therapy, and recognized, like, I've, I've had some serious hurt that happened that I would not have named as abuse, uh, or I, I was sexually abused, I didn't know. And in all those times, all the the frustration, the woundedness, not having names for it when I was younger, and now being able, able to look back, uh, I was so alone in those times. it was lonely. I, I just didn't have anyone that I could reach out to. Uh, I guess coming from a <laughs> sounding like an older person, coming from a generation where there was no internet or connectedness. Hey, or,
0: I'm with you. I got you. Yeah, <laughs>
1: being, being an '80s baby, I remember right, you know handwritten letters and all that. <laughs> yeah, I I think. You know, even with that, there's still loneliness, right? Yeah. With our connect- connectivity today, our connectedness, there's still loneliness. But I think all that to say, um, I was in a place of hurt where there was no one that I could reach out to. And I think now, what could my 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old self have really used uh, as far as what kind of person did he need? Maybe a super cliche, but I want to be that person for people who feel alone. Like They're just like, I don't know anybody else who's gone through what I've gone through. Yeah. I don't have anybody with me to hear my story, to listen, to empathize, not to fix me, not to give me advice, not for a lecture or a lesson, but just to be, to be a presence, uh, to be with me. And so, um, in, again, that sounds maybe selfish, but there's something about, uh, I, I want to be the person that I wanted to have around when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I, I never had that. And I know, looking back, you know, uh, it's a spiritual thing to say. I, I want to believe that God or, you know, uh, was walking with me during that time, you know, and I, and I want to believe that he did send people, um, and that maybe I didn't have ears to hear eyes to see. Um, but ultimately I felt super alone. It was a hard time, not, not anybody to talk with. And I meet people now in the hospital who, when they tell their story to me, it's like the first time they've ever told it. And these are people in their 40s to 80s. Wow. No one ever sat down and just said, how are you? You know, what's going on with your life? And it's heartbreaking. And it's almost as if they're te- when they're telling it, they're like embarrassed. Like, you know, like they never had to deal with the stuff that they're dealing with. So, yeah, when I, when I think of the hurting, uh, I think of that scene in the have you seen The Time Traveler's Wife?
0: No, I avoid movies like that because I know I'll cry for like a week.
1: <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a scene where the future version of that character sees the younger version of himself like time travels back and comforts the himself when he's like in this traumatic situation. And it's, it's a beautiful scene. I, that's what I think of when I, when I think of why do I? I do you know why do i have a heart for for
0: people who are hurting i'd love to get your opinion on this i think you know i hate saying like we live in a time that this and this is going on because if you like really look through history and you know it, it repeats itself and i think it's amplified a lot with social media and you know, people are like oh it's getting worse and i'm like i think we're just learning more about things that are going on so it's not really to me a debate of whether things are worse now or then or whatever but specifically with our youth and knowing how to be there for them. How do you be there and listen to hurt and pain from a people group or a generation that you either a don't understand or B completely disagree with to give you context to this question, children who are hurting because of, you know, shootings that are going on in their school or people protesting for their rights in this area. And maybe your religious beliefs or upbringing, you know, disagrees with what they're saying, but at the core and the root of it is a lot of pain. How do we kind of bridge that gap and start being more present with them and loving them through that regardless of whether we agree with them or not?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. I can't say.
0: (laughs) I just laid a heavy question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I
1: was just thinking my, my brain was screaming. Everybody, Start by getting off social media first.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe just close the laptop, turn off the phone. But um, yeah, oh gosh, you know, I, I think I, I can say what I wouldn't want to do first. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has what I learned in chaplaincy as um, everyone has an advice giving instinct. And I, I don't think it comes from a bad motive. I think it comes from there's a mentality psychologically where we want to fix things or we care about justice, but then because of who we are, uh, because uh, however we grew up or because uh, however we might be flawed, our hearts or our minds or our mouths do an overreach of justice. So we go way outside the jurisdiction of, of what's helpful and we try to fix something by being too hands-on. And the irony of that is that it hurts the people that we're, we're trying to help. And so there are people giving their advice, their point of view, their two cents. Um, I'm always aware that when I hear someone's story, my mind automatically launches into this, um, what can I lecture this person with? Or, or what, you know, how can I offer my perspective without stopping to think, no, I need to be asking or embodying this person's situation and asking them what's their perspective, what's their story, what's their story under the story. And uh, there's, a, there's a concept called uh, deep story. I, I can't remember the, the two ladies' names, but they're both writers who talk about underneath everyone's, um, whatever they're rallying for, whatever they're heard about, whatever they're expressing, there's a story underneath there where we can meet at a point of connection and say hey, that's my story too. And it was Frederick Beekner who said, uh, my assumption is that the story of any one of us is a story of us all.
0: Hmm. So
1: I, I think we need to first take a, a huge step back from the advice giving instinct. Um, yeah, and again, that doesn't come out of a bad motive. I don't think that's an evil thing or a bad thing. I think it's just our heart that's saying, I want to try to fix this. And, and we get maybe carried away with it. And we try to fix it too much. Um, so uh, there are unhelpful things that we can say. So when we see someone that we disagree with, um, the the fixing mentality or the advice-giving instinct goes into overdrive, and we're just like, you know, well, here's what I would do, and here's what you should have done, and you know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of that. Jump on a person, trying to almost conform them to our own image, yeah? Yeah. trying to almost carve them like into, into this is what I think you should be. And, um, if we can step back from that and recognize this person is their own person with their own hopes and dreams and ambitions, they are the way they are because of everything they've been through and and the choices that they made and, and uh, what has happened to them. If we, if we can take a couple seconds even to do that, you know, I've read statistically, scientifically, that perspective taking, it just takes a few seconds. And if, if we can do that, we can actually listen to what the other person is saying. The, the number, I feel like the number one thing I learned in chaplaincy is my, my supervisor would always say, how can we disagree and stay in connection?
0: Man, that's a good question.
1: Yeah. Can we disagree and stay in connection? And I, I think 100% of the time we can, you know, um, I have sat with patients who are neo-Nazis. Um, I have sat with patients who uh, politically uh, or philosophically, the way they, they view my race, I would disagree with 100%. But I, I cared for them. And there's, there's, I don't say that to brag because, I mean, that's my job. Legally, I have to care for them, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing where it's like, okay, sure, you know, you're a chaplain. You have to do that. Uh, but I didn't have to stay in the room. I didn't yeah. have to hold their hand didn't have to listen to their story. And as I listened to these, these, some of these patients who, you know, a guy who had a swastika tattoo, <laughs> I just thought, you know, this is a hurting person who I was in the same situation he was in, maybe not exactly the way he turned out, but I might have ended up in a similar situation that he was in with the same kinds of thoughts. So when we see people protesting and rallying, there's an immediate thing. I, I've seen people say, oh well, you there shouldn't be walkouts in schools. Don't use your school time to do that. And there's a lot of advice giving. And I don't think it's bad or wrong. And whether we agree or disagree on that, you know, that's up to everybody's whatever they believe. But um, I think if we pause and thought, why are they doing this? You know, how to understand, help me to understand, I, I think we can get there. I think we that's can, nice. eat yeah, that connection point.
0: You're able to connect with people, at least on that common ground level of pain and hurt because of your story and what you've been through. I guess what comes up for me when I think of that is in order for you to connect with people on that level, you have to acknowledge, be aware of, and maybe even share your own story and your own pain. And that's something you've done in your work. I mean, if you go to your website, you know, the header, it says exactly, you know, you're a suicide survivor, you are an atheist you are very honest and real about things that um, a lot of people probably wouldn't share. And I'm not saying everybody should come out and share their story out openly. That's not necessarily what everybody's called to do. We talked about that before. But for someone who maybe wants to use their story and be more open with it and want to draw people in who've gone through the things that they've gone through, but they're maybe on that edge of hesitating and they're scared. They're scared of people's perception of them. They haven't how do people find courage to do that? Were you reluctant when you first shared your story? Was it hard for you?
1: Yeah, I was authentic before it was cool. No,
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a great t-shirt. You should sell that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, of course it's definitely, um, gosh, vulnerability is really difficult. Hmm. And I think what I'm learning now, um, you know, the, the best work I've ever read on vulnerability is from Brene Brown. Um, oh,
0: that's my girl.
1: I, I, I think I've read all her work. And um, in Daring Greatly, she talks about e- even around vulnerability, there there needs to be boundaries. So she talks about floodlighting somebody when you overshare. Um, it's, it's not a healthy thing. Um, she also says if you share before your story is really done, um, then all you're doing is you're you're exercising your demons in the pulpit that kind of thing. So I see sometimes pastors and preachers, they haven't really resolved some kind of bitterness or hardness in their heart, and they're sort of really sweating over those demons and, and when they're preaching. Um, so, so there are times when I think it might be too early or too soon or, t- or, or, or too raw to share that story. Um, but I think to answer the question you were saying about uh, building up courage, the thing is, for me, the thing about courage is I used to think courage was here's a meter, and if I can get this meter up to like ninety percent, then I'm ready and I'll do it. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I see it that way anymore. I see it more like my courage meter will will probably never max out. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be scared a lot, so I will do it scared and I will speak it anyway uh, through the fear and even maybe because of the fear. I will just speak and it might not be well-received. There might not be people who like it. Um, But if I, if I wait to be courageous, if I wait for everybody to like it, or if I think, Oh, I I got it in a way now that's presentable, I'll I'll probably never share it. Uh, I'll never get to a place of readiness. And so I don't know if there's so much a courage meter as I will break through this fear. And when you break through fear, when you, you get to that, you know, that, first step of being able to share. I think the courage comes then almost. So it's almost backwards. It's such a counterintuitive way of, of how life should work. <laughs> we would think I can be brave enough to do this, but I, I think the courage comes after we t- we break through that first threshold.
0: For our la- very last question, where can people <laughs> find you online? Uh, you have several books on Amazon and a new book coming out pretty soon, right?
1: Yeah, I'm working on a, a piece about uh, voices about the voices that we, we wrestle with inside, and then our true voice. And a lot of that came out of the chaplain work that I did. It's a lot of research-based stuff, but also kind of a, a first-person narrative through finding my own voice. Um, my social media stuff, I'm on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube. I'm on WordPress. Yeah, you can find me at uh j.s park shameless promotion
0: he has some incredible books online there's a lot of different topics again there's one book and it's literally like what the church won't talk about right yeah that was the first yeah (laughs) so definitely guys check that out all of that will be linked in the show notes so my last question it's almost a staple question but uh, i'd like to talk about what I've called unconventional leaders, people who have either come from unconventional places or maybe their message is unconventional and they want to show up in the world and follow their calling, but they're just kind of hesitating and waiting. Let's say you had an arena full of this next generation of unconventional leaders, the outcasts, the people who never, no one ever thought would amount to anything and that there's a huge tug on their heart for either a people group or a message, or maybe they just want to be a rapper, but they feel unqualified. Let's say they feel completely unqualified. If you had just a few seconds, let's say 60 seconds, to tell them one thing, what would you tell them?
1: You know what, I, sometimes I've had only 60 seconds to tell a something before they went to surgery or gosh, you know, I, I might tell them all the bad news. And then a little bit of good news at the end. I might say something like, you you know, you're going to go for it and you might fail and you might get rejected and it will be hard and there will be seasons of loneliness and grief. People will misunderstand you. You will doubt yourself. You will wonder if you you're making the right choices. There will be a lot of second guessing. There will be voices from your family, your past, from that teacher in third grade from that random driver on the street or person at the cafe who made that rude comment that was harmless to them but hurt you and it's still swirling in your head. There there will be so many obstacles. Um, And then I might say, but, you know, you are never getting this time back. And you are loved. And this is This is what you're meant to
0: do. That's it, guys. Make sure you show J.S. Park some love. He has some incredible books on Amazon. All of his links, of course, are in the show notes. And if you have not yet, again, hit that subscribe button. We have some incredible episodes coming up. You do not want to miss our very first fidget Friday here in a couple of days. And also, one more thing. We have a private Facebook group of unconventional leaders. If you are wanting to connect with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and put in unconventional leaders in the search bar and I'll be sure to add you. You guys have a great one and I'll see you soon.